Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Text today is from Acts chapter 9. I'll invite you to remain standing out of respect to God's Word. It is 18 verses, so I will try to read with rhythm and cadence. But I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for you after coming out of OUM Army, so hang in there, ghost. At least you've got air conditioning. Hear the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Saul, this is Saul who becomes Paul later, but this is Saul of Tarsus. So meanwhile, Saul is still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, that's north of Jerusalem and north of Galilee, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on the straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us bow together for prayer. May your spirit of God stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and our hearts together be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we've gathered in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen. Saul was his Hebrew name. 
And he was part of the Jewish regiment that would look after and find those people who were followers of the way. The earliest references we have to the Christians. Followers of the way. And it was not to have them come together and be able to have crumpets and tea in the afternoon. It was for the purpose of charging them for blasphemy, proclaiming who Jesus was. And Saul was well known as the one who went after the Christians. He was a man with a reputation. If Saul was around and you were a follower of Christ, you better look out because he's coming for you. Saul was actually an incredibly blessed individual, um, born in Tarsus, um, one of the three great intellectual centers of the world in this time. He comes from a plethora of teachers. He was gifted in education. He was fluent in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. He could debate with the intellectuals, and we see God taking all of these gifts of his upbringing and his knowledge, and after this encounter with Christ, You can see even later in Acts chapter 17 as he encounters the Athenian intellectuals in Athens and debates with them. But Saul was on a mission. If there was anything that Saul was, he had passion. He did not know how to do anything halfway. When he went after the Christians, he went after them wholeheartedly. When he became a Christian, he went after Christ wholeheartedly in relationship. And so when we think about the kind of people that we need with us in our walk with Christ, I suggest to you that we need someone that we can go to to help, and we need someone who will come to us. Someone to go to, and someone who will come to us. We see all kinds of churches named St. Paul throughout the world. There's even a St. Paul Baptist Church. That's I find to be interesting because they usually don't use the word saints in the Baptist church names. Tell me, has anyone ever heard of St. Ananias Church? And I would suggest to you that in this text, the most important figure is not Saul, who later becomes Paul, it's Ananias. Now, let's look at Ananias for a minute because that's where I want to start. You've got Saul... Who, by the way, when you read, and you need to go back and read today, just start reading in Acts chapter 9. What's really amazing about Saul, who becomes Paul, is there's no grand renaming, right? You've got got Abram to Abraham. You've got, you are uh, Simon, now you're Peter. It's just Saul, and then about midway, a couple of chapters later, who is also called Paul, and then another chapter later, it's Paul the rest of the way. I'll tell you why Saul to Paul in a moment, but let's hang with Ananias for a minute. Ananias is told in a vision that God told him to go to this man named Saul. If you read the text carefully and you let the text speak, it's really fascinating because God does not fully disclose what he is doing, only that this man named Saul is praying Read the text. You will see. God doesn't fully outline everything for Ananias to say, look, don't worry, Beth. I know it sounds like a challenging person, but I'm going to tell you everything I'm doing in this life of this person. So when you go there, you don't have to worry. I'm doing all this stuff. It's not fully disclosed. It's not full there. All it says is I have, you see someone praying and I'm going to use them as an instrument, but he didn't say how it got there. 
So Ananias' natural kind of response is reticence. And that's what I think usually happens to you and me. Because what we tend to focus on in our humanness is what we don't know rather than the element of conviction that we have. And rather than following the cross, we let a weather vane be our guide in life. Don't like conflict. Don't want to hurt anybody's feeling. Don't want to offend anybody. And friends, if those are our leading edges of the church, then we don't even need to go to UM armies anymore. We don't need to have missions with our kids. No, there is a sense in which Paul later says clearly that he proclaims the gospel because it is an offense to many. The gospel itself should confront us. You see, if there's nothing that we need to change or be transformed externally, then why are we here? There's better donuts and coffee. I promise you, church coffee is not the best coffee. It's only free. Okay? And I love the people who make it, but it's not the best coffee, and I don't drink coffee. But we're here because we believe that there's some kind of truth greater than ourselves that we're being molded and shaped into by God. And Ananias gives us the example that it takes incredible courage. And you can only hang your hat, metaphorically, on the pieces that you know. But you won't know the whole story of what God's doing. But you have to be the courage to be willing to go. And Ananias heeds the call. And think for a moment. If you, if you look at the New Testament, fully two-thirds of the New Testament is either from Paul or from one of his immediate disciples. Two-thirds. That happened because Ananias answered the call. And he went, who do you need to answer the call for, friends? I would suggest to you that the brokenness in our world is partly our fault. Not completely, but partly our fault. Because we have kneeled at the altar of a culture that says don't offend anybody when we should be standing for the gospel and standing in the gap and being courageous to say what needs to happen in this world differently. And when we don't do that, the world gets to set the agenda. As we tell our kids all the time, do you remember that big campaign about the big drug emphasis years ago? Talk to your kids about drugs because if you don't, someone else will. Friends, there is a whole language of culture that is seeking to determine the self-centeredness, just be happy, if it doesn't offend anybody, it doesn't matter kind of culture. And you know what? I'm sorry, I'm gonna say it right now, and I'm not sorry about it. I didn't see those people in Lufkin, Texas. I didn't see any of those folks being willing to put themselves aside and help youth learn what it means to stand with somebody. The person whose home we worked in eight years before on that very lot, he and his wife were in the home. The house burned. There's a pile behind the the trailer. They moved to Cleveland, Texas. In May, the smoke detector battery was not replaced The house caught fire that they moved to in May. Eight years later, she was not mobile enough to get out, and she died in the fire and all the possessions with. He alone got out. And now he's got a place at least to live on the old lot. But can you imagine that? Now you're moving back to a place where every day you get up and you go out, and there's a large pile of debris behind your house that reminds you about the event that was. And friends, it wasn't the world, it wasn't the social clubs, and they're good, but it wasn't the world, right? It was the church who says to our kids, you need to look at something beyond yourself. 
You need to realize how fearfully and wonderfully you're made. Does culture do that? Does social media do that? Does the world do that? It does not. It says just you do you, you be happy, and you're only going to be really cool if you have, what is it, Lululemons? Is that what they call them for the girls now? A couple years ago, we were in Louisiana, and there was this huge Lululemon store, and my wife said, don't do it. She knew what I wanted to do. I said to her, if I'm ever in a Lululemon, I'm going to walk in and ask if they've got anything that'll fit this frame in a double X. <laughs> and so I walked in, and she said, I'm, I'm not doing it. And she walked off, and I walked in, and I boldly said, hey, ladies, y'all got anything in a 42 skinny for this frame? And they just said, What? Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUNC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Culture tells the kids they're cool. Culture tells you that. They have the right address. You're cool. Have the right hobby. You're cool. Drive the right car. You're cool. Dress the right way. You're cool. Have the right purse. Have the right golf clubs. Oh, man, now I went to meddling, didn't I? <laughs> See, everything about the culture wants to tell you what you need to do to be approved, to be acceptable. This text, this text is about a truth that leads you to places that will probably make you uncomfortable, but leads you beyond yourself. And so we look first at Ananias. And Ananias teaches us that in the journey we need with us someone who will come to us wherever we are. Wherever we are. And friends, there is somebody that you need to go to that needs a presence. Let me give you a little word about when you get there. Your job isn't to save anybody. Your job is to bear witness to the truth and the love of God. But I challenge you, I dare you, in the powerful name of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, to be willing to go sit with folks who may be in a place that is broken and hurting. You don't have to have the right words because they won't look back and remember what you said. You know what they're going to remember? You were there. Can you do that? Don't do anything to put yourself in a position that, I, that would risk your safety, but I'm telling you, sometimes it's just simply a matter of discomfort that keeps us from being faithful. And now we look at Saul. Saul of Tarsus, so well-educated in so many things that could shape his life and who he was, what Saul realized was that he needed someone to come into his life, a particular purpose, a particular person for a particular purpose in a particular season of life. Are you open to others who are walking into your life. I can remember early in my ministry, I had a uh, SPRC chairperson who was a licensed psychotherapist. Now I can talk to you later about that, but that was an interesting season for me. But I grew a lot because what she told me was things I needed to hear. And when there were challenges and we were starting this new church and everybody had an opinion and we were trying to get everybody on board and you don't even have a building yet, you got to go set up in the school, people were easily discouraged, sometimes easily offended. 
And then I felt like I was just chasing my tail all the time, trying to say, okay, are you happy today? Oh, oh good, are you? It's hard enough when you have charity. And she finally said to me, she said, Bert, 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 you're, rather than approaching it that way, let me encourage you to think about it this way. Even though this may be a challenging person or situation for you, what can you learn from it? And how can you grow from it? And I've held that and I put a ripple and a twist. And what I've realized is, is this. Even the most challenging of circumstances, I need to continue asking, God, how do you want to grow me in this moment? In this moment, in this time. How do I grow through all that's happening in this particular moment and season? And like Paul and Ananias, when we find that person that comes to us, we have to be like Paul and be open to what that person will speak or do in our lives. Now, it's helpful because the text tells us that, that God is telling Ananias that he has spoken to Saul and that someone is coming to us, but we don't see that encounter within the text. The text simply says that Jesus tells Saul, this is where you're going, you're going to hang out there, and I'm going to show you what you're going to have to suffer. And then we have the encounter. I think the one thing the world misses the most in its message is it jumps too quickly just to a simple message that is an unfiltered affirmation. You're good and wonderful just like you are and just who you are. The biblical message is a God that always finds us, but that divine affirmation the divine affirmation is always followed by a season of divine redemption. So what happens is the affirmation of who you are is never separated from how you need to be redeemed and what you might need to change to more fully reflect how you were created. And this is a different message. But you have to be open to those who come to speak to us. Now, Ananias shows up here in the text, and we don't see him again. Uh, there are Ananias kind of moments and mentors in our life. There are those who join us in a longer season, and there are those who are with us for particular seasons. And, and I know that God could find someone else to work in Saul's life, but he chose Ananias, and Ananias said yes, and Paul becomes who he is because of what Ananias does when his name is still Saul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. It was very common for people to use the names relative to the cultures. So why on earth would Saul want this name in this season and now use Paul in this season? Simple answer. What Paul was able to do as a Roman citizen and Roman controlled the rule is he was able to take all of his education within the Hebrew faith, claim the name of Paul, and basically ride on the coattails of the Roman authority and go preach the gospel to all the world. He constantly said, to the Jew I'm a Jew, to the Greek I'm a Greek, to those who are saved I'm saved. And he used and leveraged that. He was open to how Ananias spoke in his life and met him in that moment. Years ago, my wife, Sean, said it this way, God, prepare in me what you're preparing for me. I love that imagery. God, prepare in me what you're preparing for me. 
I think this week what I learned the most was you actually can survive in the heat without air conditioning. (laughs) Spiritually, what happened in the hearts of these youth and adults was far more significant than what happened physically in meeting the needs of others. We worked for three days on Mr. Foote's house. He's recovering from COVID. Actually, that house fire in May meant the, his, his car keys burned, his, everything in his car burned, so he, didn't, he has a car, just doesn't have keys to it. Took him three days to get there. And when he finally got there, what, what made my heart soar with joy is that I've got kids kind of strewn out all over. They're over here in the tent. They're cutting boards. They're putting down boards. And when I, he gets here and I just kind of whistle, and they know when I'd whistle, they'd look my way. I said, hey, our client is here. Mr. Foot is here. I didn't have to tell a single one of the youth to come down and introduce themselves. Every single one of them came down, took off their glove, said hello, and stayed present. And do you want to guess what we did when all four youth were fully present? Take a guess. We prayed. We prayed God's blessings on Mr. Foote's life. And we prayed that what we were doing would help him and help him heal and help him enjoy life. Friends, that's the church you're part of. That's the kind of witness we're talking about. That what we look at in the biblical imagery of the relationship between Saul and Ananias, the transformation that happens in Saul's life to become Paul and claim that is because of Ananias, one who shows up for a particular season and a particular moment and is not mentioned again. But without that moment, without that faithfulness, I wonder what it would have looked like. I don't know. I don't know. But I wonder. So today, here's your challenge. Don't go out and try to be a Saul of Tarsus or a Paul. Just go out there and be an Ananias. Be open and listening to what God wants to do in your life to encourage you to go to a place. And when you find that place, you don't have to be the God who saves somebody. Just be fully present. Or as Bob Goff says, when you get to the place that you need to be, be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. Be fully present. And if you can't do anything else, just like I talked to the youth this week, I'm not expecting you to bring out a prayer or a quote Anselm or anybody else. I'm not expecting you to lay hands and heal. I don't expect you to take olive oil. You can do all those things if you want, but I realize that very few of you have a stash of olive oil. And very few of you, if I just said this moment, hey, would you stand up and just pray right here in front of everybody? You'd probably have a heart attack before you'd... I I recognize that. And you don't have to actually pray for somebody if you're uncomfortable doing that, but can you at least do this? Can you just ask them one question? Just say this. How can I be praying for you? How can I be praying for you? Is that hard to say? Say that out loud with me. I mean, let's just get it comfortable, right? How can I be praying for you? And if you're not comfortable, you're not a failure in that moment if you don't automatically move into prayer, okay? 
But don't fail to ask the question and open the door. And then what I pray is, you have a restless night. And God's Holy Spirit will stir in you and bring you a vision and move you out of a place of comfort to a place of commitment. You're doing it in so many ways already. Let's keep doing it, church. Let's keep being a place that helps transform the world because what we believe about the unending love of God expressed in the person of Christ. Our Lord, our Savior, the one who sometimes will, pardon my French, knock us on our butt with a bright light. But he will never fail to pick you up again. Let's pray together. God, help us to, in our dreams, in the busyness of the world, to slow the busyness so that when we do pause, when we believe we're capturing visions, we'll know clearly the difference between indigestion and unsettledness and that move of your Holy Spirit that is tugging at our heart, that we are not crazy, we're not out of our mind, but actually maybe we are out of our own mind and we're into the mind of Christ. God, would you help us to continue to be the people that respond to the love of Christ, depend upon the work of the Holy Spirit, to be a transforming presence in this world with a message that is different than the culture, a message that helps us to recognize not only are we fearfully and wonderfully made, we are made for a purpose. And there is a relationship that defines that absolutely clearly and fully in the person of Christ. God, help us to be in relationship to Christ that we might hear clearly the voice of Christ and to recognize the face of Christ in others. And as we leave this place, may we live in such a way that others would recognize Christ in us. For this we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen.